we've got a special treat for you guys this morning. Uh, we're going to have our brother Sam Liu come and give us a word this morning. That's right. Yeah, give it up for Sam. Um, and so with that, I, you guys are already doing what I was going to invite you into, to really just lean in this morning, encourage Sam, like be active participants. And I believe that he's really got um, an inspired like message for you guys. He's got some, some good stuff. And so just lean in, be family, uh, be active participants and listeners this morning. Sam, you want to go ahead and come up here? And uh, yeah, give him a warm welcome. Uh, Sam, I'm going to pray over you real quick, and then I'm going to just hand it over to you. You ready? Yeah. Let's do it, man. Lord, thank you for Sam uh, and just what you've been doing in this man who's already so much of a minister to the people in his lives, to his friends, to his classmates, and to everyone, Lord. Um, Just thank you for the gift of who he is to our church and the gift of what he's bringing this morning. Would you help us to just love on him and encourage him as he steps up in faith and in boldness just to to preach your word, Lord? Amen. Amen. Love you, ma'am. Thank you, brother. Can you guys hear me? My microphone on? We good? Okay, there it is. Hey. So like Gentry said, my name is Sam, and this is awesome. I'm like, this is my family. I've been a part of Ethos for a while now, and you guys are my crew, and so it's just really an honor to be able to teach in God's word today. And I know we just prayed. But my hope for for us today as we get into the next verse of Psalm 23 is that this would be God's spirit, his words, and his truth in all of our lives this morning, because I know we need it. So let's just pray real quick. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the men and women, the sons and daughters who you have called by name to come into Ruby on Sunday morning. We ask you to encourage us. We ask you to pour your spirit out heavily on your people like you have always done. And we ask that your spirit would do things we couldn't ask or imagine, God. We love you, we worship you. It's in your name we pray, amen. So if you've been with us at Ruby for the past few weeks, you know that we've been going through Psalm 23. And Psalm 23 is probably one of the most famous passages in all of scripture. And it's a, it's a passage written by a guy named King David, who's probably the most famous king in the entirety of the Israel history. And the psalm comes from David when he's looking back on his past life experiences, and he says, okay, what has God been like to me? Who, is, who has God been most like to me? And he says, you know, he's been like a shepherd, that he has walked with me through the valleys, that he has restored me, that he has led me in green pastures and by quiet streams, and that he has been faithful to me. And so today we're going to go with the next verse, which is Psalm 23, verse 5. And this is what the verse says. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup, it overflows. Now, if you're like me, when you read this, you're like, dang, that sounds awesome. Like, I want to be able to feast in the presence of my enemies. I don't really know what that looks like, but it sounds like there's something like abundance in the midst of trials, in the midst of threats. And yet, sitting here, I'm like, I don't really know what that looks like, how that applies, because it seems like if I were in the presence of enemies, I wouldn't be feasting, I'd be in battle. And yet, this is the language David uses in the psalm. And so today, as we seek to answer this big question of, hey, why can I feast in the presence of my enemies? Like, that doesn't sound logically possible. 
And the way we're going to take this down is we're going to go through three different angles of looking at this first. We're going to go through the way David wrote it, his circumstances and what he's talking about. We're going to go to Jesus and say, hey, how did he reflect this psalm in this passage? And then we're going to go to us and say, okay, what does this look like for us April 2nd, 2023? How do we feast? Why can we feast in the presence of our enemies, right? So let's get into it. We're going to start with David. So the four sort of buckets or symbols we're going to use are the four in the psalm. And it's the anointing, it's the table, the triumphal entry, which really isn't in the psalm, but today's Palm Sunday, and there's a lot of cool connections between the two, so we're going to put it in there. And then the fourth one is the cup, okay? Let's start with the anointing. So in 1 Samuel 16, God anoints David through the prophet Samuel. He goes, God says, hey, choose another king for me. This is going to be a king after my own heart who knows his father so intimately. That's the one who's going to be king. And I want you to go to the house of Jesse and anoint him. And so Samuel goes to the house of Jesse and he anoints David, who's the youngest son of Jesse. And The idea of anointing was this practice that was given to prophets, priests, and kings. And when you hear anointing, it basically means, hey, this person is now set apart. Or this person's going to be God's special, chosen, royal person to use in his kingdom, okay? God's special, royal, chosen person. And so he anoints David as king in that moment because God anoints those who have a heart after his own heart heart after his own heart, knows him intimately. And that takes us right into the table, right? And when you think about a table, it's like, where does a table most often exist in your home? In the kitchen, right? It's, an, it's a place of fellowship and familiarity. And yet when David's writing this, he's reflecting on his past experiences, and he remembers a moment where he was running from Saul, right? Saul was the previous king of Israel, and he wanted David dead. He was jealous of him. He hated him. And so David's literally on the run, like enemies on his heels. His men are starving. They're weak. They just need some place to get food. And where does David go? He literally goes to the temple, the tabernacle of God, where the priests would serve the very presence of the living God in the tabernacle. And what does David do? He says, hey, I need bread. Like, I need some sort of food in the midst of my very real enemy behind me. Come to find out, there's actually a table inside the tabernacle that was placed by the priest. It's literally called the table of God's presence. On that table exists 12 loaves of bread that symbolize the 12 tribes of Israel being constantly sustained by the spirit of the living God. And so, and the priest says, hey, you know what? In emergencies, I'm going to give this to you and your boys to dine and to eat in the midst of your emergency. And so if you think about this, it's like David saying, hey, You prepared a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. Like, it's not an abstract concept. He's saying, this is poetic, it'll sound nice. He's like, no, Saul was literally on my heels, and I went to God's table, his kitchen table, and I dined at his feast because he provided me food when I was hungry in the presence of my enemies. David's like, this is real. I remember his faithfulness to me there. And that leads us into the triumphal entry. So David comes into Jerusalem, right? At this point, he's king. And he comes in Jerusalem as this conquering king, right? He comes in and he conquers the armies there. And he, he rolls into Jerusalem. And the people there are praising him, clapping for joy. 
He's got a crown on, he's on a horse, he's clothed in all the royal garments, and he's a strong king who conquers strong physical enemies, right? Keep that in your mind as we keep going. Then fourthly, the cup. So David's basically saying, he goes, you know, I'm looking over my life and I have this cup. And you know, it's not just half full, it's not just enough, it's not just full, it's overflowing with God's blessing towards me. It's like so much I can't even contain it. And the blessing shows up most prominently to David when, when he, there's this chapter when David comes before God and he says, God, I love you so much. You know what I want to do? I want to build you a house, a temple, so that your presence is with me at all times. And God being the God that he is says, you know what, David, I love you more. And I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to build you a royal dynasty, meaning when you're long and gone, I will put your king, your offspring, on the throne of Israel. And this king, man, he's going to be the king. And he's going to set everything right. And he's going to cast out evil. And don't worry, David, no matter what happens, I will be faithful to my promise to bring a king one day. And so David has his cup, and he's like, man, God is blessing me beyond what I even need or deserve. So then we come to Jesus. And we're going to use the same sort of buckets for this, right? And this is the cool thing, is that when Jesus rolls on the scene, we refer to him as Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah. Now, I don't know if you know this, but Christ or Messiah isn't Jesus' last name, right? It's a title given to him. And you know what that title means? It means the anointed one, capital A, the anointed one, the one promised to David all those years ago. He's here. He's finally here. So guess what? Because he's the coming king, he's going to walk in the same symbols. So first, Jesus, he's anointed first in the Jordan River by the Father. The, the, the writers of the scripture refer to Jesus' baptism as saying, hey, in that moment, God was anointing his coming as the king, beginning his ministry. But there's another scene that's actually more prevalent to us. On the day literally before Palm Sunday, the day that we're celebrating today, in the book of John, Jesus is eating at these religious leaders' house, right? Very important people. They think they're righteous and better than everyone else because they follow the rules. And while he's eating there, a woman who is an outcast, who is downtrodden, who is weak and at the end of her rope, Mary Magdalene, she comes to Jesus and she kneels at his feet and she weeps. And she breaks this jar of alabaster oil and the scriptures say that oil filled the whole room and when the men try to cast her out, Jesus says, hey, don't. She was forgiven much, therefore she loves much. And so Jesus doesn't get this really important Samuel-like prophet. No, he gets, he gets an outcast. He gets someone who's desperate and poor in spirit. And what does, that, what does that say to us today? What does that mean? Like, who recognized the true king? Who recognizes the true king today in 2023? It's not the special, important religious leaders. It's the people who know they need a savior, right? And so like, just real quick, if that's you today, like Jesus is for you. Those are the people Jesus wants. Those are the people who see Jesus when everyone else is blinded. And so Mary anoints Jesus and he's like, this is right. I am the true and better king promised to David. I'm the king who would set everything right. And so 
that brings us to the table, right? And you're, you may be wondering, like, okay, does Jesus go to that temple and does he eat that special bread? That'd be, that'd be a kind of cool parallel. It's like, actually, no, there's something better on the table here. No pun intended. Um, the day before Good Friday, the day before Jesus is about to be turned over and crucified, what does he do? He literally prepares a table in the presence of his enemies, like Judas. He feasts with a man he spent three years of life with who's about to turn him over to the authorities, torture him, crucify him. And what we see here is like, okay, so what does Jesus do at the table? Does he do anything special? Does he cast out Judas? No, actually, the character of this king, the anointed one, what does he do? He gets on his knees, he wraps himself in the cloth, and he washes his enemy's feet. Like, guys, that's the, that's the king we serve today, the king who washes our enemies' feet, who washes our feet. And then we get to the cup, or no, we get to the triumphal entry, my apologies, where is Jesus riding in like David? Is he on this big horse and everyone's shouting his name and he's being celebrated and he's gonna kick all these Romans out, these physical enemies that we think are conquering us? No, because you know what Jesus is gonna do? He's here for something bigger. And Jesus is saying as he comes into Jerusalem on a donkey, lowly and gentle of heart, what he's saying is, hey, my power over death is that I give my life over willingly for you. And that when I resurrect, I have power over death itself. That's Jesus' conquering nature. So like David, Jesus is the true and better conquering king, not just of physical enemies, but of the principalities and the powers of evil that govern this world. Jesus is the true and better king. And so that brings us to the cup. And does he receive the cup of God's blessing like David did? No, actually, he's going to go to a garden right before he's betrayed. He's going to get on his knees. He's going to weep and sweat blood because he's at the point of grief. And he's going to say, Father, may this cup pass from me, but not my will. Your will be done. And that cup referred to in the scriptures is called the cup of God's wrath. And if that makes you guys feel like, ooh, I don't like an angry God, that, I like the sweet, loving Jesus, it's like, let me remind you, you probably actually want God's wrath more than you think. Because when we look at the news and we look at the world and we see the chaos and the destruction and the calamity, we yearn for justice. We get angry and we say, I want that to be made right. And yet we know we're powerless to do it. And then when we turn off the TV and we look in the mirror, we see some of that destruction, calamity, and disaster in our own self. And while we want all things to be made right, we want to be saved in the process. And that's what Jesus died for. He's saying, in the midst of my crucifixion and my resurrection, I am at once justifier and the justified. And so as I receive God's cup of wrath, you actually are going to receive my cup of blessing just because I love you. And so that moves us on to us, right? You may be sitting here and you're saying like, okay, that's cool. Like there's a lot of parallels there. The scriptures, yeah, I see that. But like I'm in 2023 now, Sam. Like why can I feast right now? Right? And this is the big answer. Because the gospel allows us to feast. The gospel allows us to feast. And it's going to show up in the same ways it did to David and the same ways it did to Jesus in those same categories. First, in the table, we feast 
because Jesus has prepared us a table when we were his enemies. Think about that. Jesus invited us to his table when we were far from him. And Paul remarks on this in Ephesians 2. He says, you know, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of God's great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even, even when we were just dead in our transgressions, for it is by grace that you have been saved. It's by grace you have been saved. And here's what's happening in this moment, all right? To use an analogy that best fits this, it's like, imagine you're in a land and you commit a crime that is penalized by death. And you get put into a prison far away and it's dark and it's dirty and you're clothed in these garments that become filthier and filthier over the years. And you're there for decades and you're just covered in filth. Nothing you can do can get you out of it. Until one day, the prince of the king comes down from his throne and he walks into your prison and he opens the door. He walks you out. He takes off your filthy rags. He puts them on himself. He takes his clean white garments, he puts them on you, takes off his crown, puts it on you, takes off his ring, puts it on you, and you become the son of the king, and he becomes the criminal. We can feast because we were once an enemy of God, but because of God, we are now in his family. And that brings us right into the anointing, right? That we feast because now we are Jesus' adopted sons and daughters. Like, I hope, I hope we understand that. It's like, no matter who you think you are today, if you think that you're a mom or you think you're a father or you think you're a good person, or you think, like, whatever you're attaching your identity to, God's saying, hey, I have something abundantly more for you. It's my own identity as royalty. Remember what we said about anointing, right? We said anointing was for God's special, chosen, royal people. David was a special, royal, chosen person. Jesus, special, royal, chosen person. You, all of you, special, royal, chosen people. That's what Jesus has done. And he summarizes it best in Romans 8. He says, the spirit you received, it does not make you slaves. In fact, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, for the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, then now we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. And so what Paul is saying, he's saying, as David was anointed king, so you were anointed as royalty. As Jesus was anointed as king, so you were anointed as Jesus' royal son and daughter. That you inherit everything from him. You inherit everything. You know what that means? If Jesus is the conquering king, then you inherit the conquering nature of the true king of the universe. You inherit the nature of the conquering king. And that brings us to our last point, the cup. We feast because Jesus has conquered our greatest enemy. Jesus has conquered our greatest enemy death itself, that Paul says in Romans 8, 
What then shall we say in response to these things? Because if God is for us, who can be against us? He who, who didn't even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? For who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? But no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I, Paul, in prison and changed, beaten and scored, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, from the love of God that is in the anointed one, Jesus Messiah. Here's our cup, right? And if you're bringing your cup in your day and you're like, I, I barely got a drop. Like, I hear you. I hear you, Sam, but it's like, that feels far off to live in. Jesus' cup, the cup that he's given you is overflowing. Whether you feel it or not in this morning, this is the promise that the scriptures have said. Hey, I know you're suffering. I know you're going through sickness. I know you're going through calamity. Nakedness, danger, and sword. Hey, even in that moment at the lowest of low when your cup is like a drop, you not only conquer, but the Greek word there almost implies you obliterate. You know? Like what Jesus has done, it's like you not only conquer death, you conquer it like a billion times over. Because that's the strength of your king. And he's saying, you know, I know in the middle, I know you're in the middle right now between the beginning and the end, but hold on. Remember, this is the identity above your head. Remember, in the middle of your enemies, this is the feast. The feast is because Jesus is our king. And so to recap, why can we feast in the presence of our enemies? Jesus anoints you. You're his royal son and daughter. Right now, on April 2nd at 9 a.m. or something on a, on a Sunday, Jesus Christ sees you. He knows your name, and he wants you to be his child. Second, Jesus prepared us a feast when we were his enemies. Not only does Jesus see you, he sees everything that you keep hidden. He sees the worst parts about you. Tim Keller says uh, the gospel, oh, to be loved is superficial, right? But not known. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and fully loved, well, that's something else entirely. And then lastly, Jesus has conquered your greatest enemy, that he is the conqueror, not you. He gives you that identity, but he's doing the work. And like Moses and the tribes of Israel at the shore of the Nile or the Red Sea, he's saying, hey, be still. Know that I am your conquering king, for I know you are broken, but you're not out. You are downcast, but you are not destroyed. You are afflicted but still joyful. You have nothing, and yet you have everything. Jesus is saying, hey, even in that, there is an identity waiting for you because I will one day set everything right. So if we know that Jesus will set everything right, then think of the little enemies between now and then. Anxiety, depression, abusive relationships, divorce, decay, destruction. How big do those seem in your mind? For me, huge, 
right? But when we see how much bigger our God is, they're small, small. And so lastly, how do I feast in my life? Like, okay, how do I walk in this? And the answer is actually not that complicated. It's, hey, keep your eyes on him. Like Peter walking on the waves, what does he do? The only thing he does that allows him to walk on the waves, he fixes his eyes on Jesus. Doesn't mean the waves go away, doesn't mean the lightning goes away, doesn't mean the wind doesn't stop, but he fixes his eyes on Jesus. In, in any sort of relationship, how do you get close to your father? You spend time with him, you laugh with him, you learn from him, you hang around him, you joke with him, you wrestle with him, you be near him at all times. And if you think that's just, I don't know if that's possible, that's David's posture. He's not just in the moment of Psalm 23 saying, I should probably ask God to help me because that's, that's what my rabbi told me to do. He's like, I'm on the run. Death is on my doorstep. God is my dad. God is my shepherd. He's my protector. Instinctually, that relationship comes up. Jesus, as he's sweating blood in the garden, he's not saying, I should probably show my, my disciples a good example of what it is to be a Christian. He's saying, no, Father, please, Father, please take this cup from me. Intimate, instinctual relationship. And what I'm not saying is, hey, it'll happen right then. It's like any relationship, it takes time, it takes time, it takes time. But I guarantee you, the more you keep your eyes on him, the more you'll realize, I'm starting to be transformed and I'm starting to trust the ways and works of Jesus, even in the midst of my enemies. And so my friends, as we come together, we are more than conquerors. Let that story shape your life over time. It doesn't mean that the hurt and pain you feel isn't real. It doesn't mean that you have to grit and smile and be happy. It actually means the opposite. The pain David felt was very real. And he's still writing the Psalm. Pain Jesus felt on the cross doesn't get realer than that. He's not asking you to fake it to make it. He's asking you to, to cry in his presence. He's asking you to weep in his presence. He's asking you to plead in his presence. He's asking you to rejoice in his presence. It all has to do with where your eyes are, right? And walk with a friend in that. Like, this isn't meant to be done on our own. Walk with your brothers and sisters, because I guarantee you, the more you do it, it's easier to keep your eyes on him when everyone else around you is staring at him. So we're about to take communion. And if you guys wanna reach under your uh, aisle chairs, there should be some bowls there. And just pass that down the aisle so we can have these. We're gonna take communion together. Once you have your cup, just stand up and we're gonna take the bread and the cup. So as we take communion this morning, we take the bread in our hand and we remember that this is the body of Christ broken for you, that the feast is Jesus, the bread of life in the presence of our enemies. Take and eat of it. And when we look at the cup, we remember the night that Jesus prepared a feast in the presence of his enemies. And he took the cup and he said, this is my blood poured out for you. Take and drink of it, all of you.
Now, if you would like to stay standing, um, we're going to just end in a song of worship.